We will be talking, the title of the sermon today is Massacre of the Innocents. Massacre of the Innocents. It's a historical, a biblically historical term that is applied to an event that happened around the time of Jesus' birth and because of Jesus' birth. And so turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, and we'll be reading in your hearing verses 1 through 18. We don't always read that much scripture, sometimes we read more, but it helps establish the whole, uh, the whole picture. We'll be reading from the New King James Version in um, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Sometimes when we look at a passage of scripture, it gives us insights into theology and doctrine. And sometimes when we look at a passage of scripture, it also is informative on things that we can learn from and apply to our life. And today is, it's the latter as we look at that. We'll see some insights there, but we're going to talk about the, what's called the massacre of the innocents. And so if you were to Google this or Bing or whatever search platform you, you would use and say Massacre of the Innocents, one of the things that's going to pop up is this passage in Matthew 2, verses 1 through 18. Now this is after Jesus was born, which it says in the first verse. So join with me. You can follow on the screen if you'd like. It won't take us too long, but it's good to remind us of the story as well. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in, in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed from their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And, there, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I, have called, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he, he was deceived by the wise men, 
was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. May God add his blessing to reading of his word. So as we read this story, we're reminded of some of the events as, as Jesus has been born. And the shepherds have already come and gone. And, and you see here the wise men have come from the east because they saw his star. And as I've told some of you before, but in case you've forgotten, it says that they, the wise men came. They sought to see where, where he was by the king. And they followed the star. And verse 11 says, and when they came into the house. So the wise men come to find Jesus in the house. Jesus was no longer in the stable, even though it makes the Christmas story goes faster. When we bring the wise men at the nativity scene there with Jesus in the manger, but it didn't happen that way. But at any rate, they came to town. They were looking for Jesus, the stars that appeared. And as, as they come, they look and they, they thought, well, it's supposed to be, he's the king of the Jews, so let's go to the king. And so they tell King Herod, Hey, where's, where's Jesus at? Where's, uh, where's this king of the Jews at? They didn't say Jesus, maybe, but where's this king of the Jews? Well, Herod didn't know anything about it, and Herod, Herod, it seems, as we continued in the story, is concerned about somebody taking over his kingdom. And Herod tries to pull information out of them, and they're in searching, but the star appears to the wise men, and they're very excited about it, and then they follow the star again, and it goes to where Jesus is at in the house with his parents. And they go there, they find him there, they worship him. And being warned in a dream, as we can tell by the rest of the story, to, to go another way, to not go back and tell the king, they leave. They leave. And Joseph then is warned, and they flee, takes Jesus, and they flee, and his, and his mother, and they flee to Egypt. And then we come to this passage, which in my Bible, it highlights it there as the massacre or massacre of the innocents. See, Herod didn't want anybody taking over his kingdom. He didn't matter how old they were. He was in fear or concerned. And so he ordered that they all be killed in Bethlehem and its districts. Now, if you would go look it up, some people would say that it didn't happen or they would be concerned and debate. But can I say you, there's a lot of things in Scripture that they have found to be true, even though they didn't think they were true before. But the Bible tells us that this occurred. And for those of you who are of an apologetic nature, you might look at it and say and realize that Bethlehem was, a very, was not a large place. There weren't a lot of people. We don't know how many children lived there. But it, these male children... were killed about two years and younger. Two years old and younger. The massacre of the innocents. Now, the massacre of the innocents, we can kind of apply that term or think about that term in different ways in this particular context. 
There was another time in biblical history back in the book of Exodus chapter 1, and there was someone by the name of Moses. And at that time, Pharaoh was concerned about in Egypt because the, the Israelites were growing in large numbers. So they tried to get the midwives to kill the babies that were being, if they were male, as they were being born. But the midwives, midwives obeyed, the Hebrew midwives obeyed the Lord and did not kill them. And so Pharaoh sent out an order to just have them tossed. Have them tossed into the river. And so Moses was hid in the bulrushes. Power. Power. There's quotes out there that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Power. It can be corrupting. We do know that God has absolute power, but not, and I don't find him to be corrupt. But in the name of, if I think of King Herod here in this case, in the name of me. If I'm Herod, I'm thinking in the name of me. In the name of me retaining my powers. In the name of me retaining my future. In the, the, the name of me fulfilling what I think the plan should be. These children become a pawn in my scheme. And if they're in the way, then I'm going to remove them. It's the massacre of the innocents. They're just innocent. They didn't do any, any reason, any cause for that. It just messed up their plans. And as we think about this concept of when we get to the point that our plan, our desire, the thing we want, the thing we hope for, becomes the premier becomes what in charge and drives us, then we, it becomes easy to use others as pawns. To use others as pawns. And to, to, so because you don't want to lose the argument or you don't want to lose the situation, we take even children and they become pawns. It's a shame to think of so many people that want to contain their right to control to the point that they're willing, because it's not part of their plan, it would throw off their course for their career, that they wouldn't be as successful, so they choose to kill their babies in the womb. Now granted here, these children had been born. But as we believe Scripture tells us, at conception, these children are born. And so, but how many times do we take things and we don't consider the consequences of the people around us? We just consider our plan. You know, if we have a plan and we're like, there are going to be consequences of their plan and someone's going to lose their life, that's pretty extreme. But people make those kinds of choices. You know, we have people and then put things that are going on into the world where there are more and more assisted suicide, that even in Canada, in situations where people are having mental issues, that they can basically go through an assisted suicide. In other places, it's euthanasia. Somehow we know what that person needs to the point that they can, they can kill themselves. But in other cases, it's not them killing themselves, it's euthanasia. 
It's like, uh, they look like they're confused and they have some dementia. And so we're going to kill them. They look like they are older and can't do what they used to do, so we should let them kill themselves because they don't feel valued anymore. And in our view and in our mind is maybe there's too much population or not enough population or there's this drain or that drain that there's the innocence. So sometimes it's not even in death. Sometimes it's in, in the causes that we have that we're going to sacrifice all things for the cause without considering the innocence. Just think about the different things that we're doing with children today and the past that people are going down and making choices for them about what their gender is and what their gender isn't. And so we sacrifice the innocence for the power of our idea or the power of being in control. We want something so bad we have this plan that we're going to run over people. We're going to step on people to get to what we need, even what's wholesome. Even what's wholesome. In our endeavor to have more people in the churches or in the congregations, we have to soften the message. In our endeavors to make everybody feel better, we're going to have to not preach repentance. In our endeavors to swell things, we're going to make divorce okay in all situations. And in our endeavors that someone wants a child so bad that they're going to go to science to have, even though they might have, uh, they don't have a husband or a wife, but they want a child so they'll look to science so they can have a child. Some of them don't even want a husband, they just want the child, so they check off they've got a child. Because they have a career, but they also want the career of the child. So they can't have too many children, but they'll have the one, and then they'll... They'll go and have their career, and then they'll ship the kid off to boarding school and to somebody to watch them. See, I, if I send them off to daycare all day long, and I send them off to boarding schooling all day long, and then I have my career all day long, was the child something out of the love for the child, or was it because it's a status symbol? Being a parent's an important role. It's a choice that we make. But it should be between a man and a woman and in the way that God designed it. And we preached that sermon before. It's, it's something that should happen after marriage. But in a desire to have things, we have homosexual relationships where people get together and, and they, I'm not going to say that they get married. It's not a biblical marriage. They like to tag it as marriage, but it's a... Um, immoral union, but it's not a biblical marriage. And so they want a child, so they go to science. I mean, it's amazing how hard they're working in a lot of cases. They try to figure out how they can clone a child or do something so we don't have to have men involved. What is this thing about men? What is this thing about men? The Bible has a calling for men, and, and men have a role, and they show a leadership role, and we seem to be value, devaluing, devaluing men in the church and devaluing men in church leadership. But they have a unique role. Maybe that's a sermon for another time. 
But we try to do it without the men, without the right union together, and then, then somehow, you know, being a single mom is something to be celebrated because you don't need a dad anyhow because they're evil or something. But we want a child, and so we want a child that so we will do what we have to to manipulate the situation and deprive them. But then on the other hand, we'll have situations, and we've had them over time where Someone wants to marry one, someone so bad, and times go past, they want to marry someone so bad, so to trap them, they're going to get pregnant in order to facilitate the marriage, to make the marriage happen, to guilt them into the marriage. So once again, the child has become the pawn. And it seems to be, as there's issues and things with, with uh, the number, the birth rate, we're having fewer and fewer children, per se. There's questions around fertility. Some will say it's all these chemicals and things we're trying to do. You know, we have to drink water bottles and drink all the, you, know, you ever taste the plastic stuff in the water bottles? All the, all the things where we've invented better food than what God has provided, and we have to add this, and we have to add that, and we have to process this and process that. We can't do it the way God designed it. We've got to do everything a little bit different. But we've even gotten to the point now that someone wants a child so bad that they call to science, and you just kind of think about it. They take the babies. We believe life is at conception. And then they freeze the babies. They do the invertible fertilization. Basically, they go and they fertilize a bunch of the eggs, and then they pick one out of there. Maybe they pick whether it's a boy or a girl. And then they pick it up and they put it in the prospective mother. Yes, it's from their genetics and all that kind of things. And yeah, we got our child and we froze the rest of them. So does that mean that their grandparents, their, the grandparents have 8, 12, 16 grandchildren that are frozen someplace? Yes, but they want to have a child. And I get that. I understand that. But who are we making the pawn there? We push these things to the side and... I want what I want so bad that I don't always consider the consequences, and they're frozen over here. Snowflake babies, I think they call them, and then they unfreeze them at some point. It's just this interesting. We call it a, to science, and we try to solve that problem. And science is an interesting thing, and we learn from science, and it is knowledge, but you know, we think about in the Old Testament, how many different times did man think about Isaac and Ishmael? God had a plan, and in God's time, things might take place, but we tried to manipulate the rules. Sarah tried to manipulate the rules by Hagar so that she could have someone called her child, even though it wasn't her child. And then she despised the child. So again, the child becomes the pawn. Isn't it a shame? And you even think in society today that we're using the children as pawns? So this passage of Scripture, like in my Bible, is called the Massacre of the Innocents. And we reach back and we look at an historical contest that is the massacre of the innocents, that they were killed, but... Today we see where we have the massacre of innocence. Not of the innocent. The massacre of innocence. 
And maybe in turn, that's the, those that were innocent. Their, their innocence is being taken away because the will of someone wants to be imposed. I hear stories. And people talk about they have a child and their child is having a gender issue and they might be three or four years old. And the parent or the uncle or, some, or the aunt or somebody talks about them and they present them. Yes, I have a child like that. Yes, I do. I have one of those. They will say something like that and they wear it as a badge of honor and they, they push it forward. You know, every other kinds of things we... We don't tell everybody all our business about health, and we don't tell all our business about maybe our, our uh, mental issues, or we don't bring up challenges that we're having as a family, or, you know, so-and-so's an alcoholic. We try to not throw things upon that. But, but if someone's of a certain status, of a certain situation, or dealing with something, well, well let's push that up there. I want to celebrate it. Because that either makes me a victim or the friend of a victim, or that makes me enlightened somehow. And so we'll share all the private, intimate things that might horrify that child when they get later in life, and they might regret the choices that someone else made for them. But we're going to celebrate that, and we're going to broadcast and put that up for everywhere. The Massacre of Innocence. But what are those other things that because you have a cause, you'll sacrifice? You know, when we think about the Bible holistically, we want to win the loss, but we don't do that by sacrificing some other portion of doctrine. We don't want the job so bad that we violate our principles and run over it. The ends don't justify the means. We also should always walk with that constitution of how can it affect the others? Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. Sometimes we put a stereotype box on who we want to come in the door and what type of child or what type of individual. I've heard stories even from our district superintendent where he went from church to church and because he was rowdy, because he had a lot of energy, and some maybe you can relate to that where you went to a Sunday school or something and, and they didn't get that you were mischievous. But our district superintendent tells the story of his, him going and, and uh, he would go to this one church for vacation Bible school and because he is mischievous, you know, and what we might have called hyper at the time, whatever, they, they kicked him out of vacation Bible school. So then they, he went to another vacation Bible school and he had the same kind of issues. They kicked him out of that one. He got kicked out of multiple ones of them until he got to this one church and he thought, oh, the pastor's come out after vacation Bible school and he's going to kick me out too. And I think the story went that he was talking to the young man and he was out on the stoop and the pastor came up and told him to wait a minute. And he says, oh, great, I'm going to go kick you out of another one because he enjoyed it. And the pastor just knelt down and tied his shoe because the shoe was untied and says, I'll see you tomorrow. See, sometimes we, we, we have this view of how things should be and, and we, sacrifice our plan, we sacrifice the innocence for our plan. I went to a church one time and even in a whole, it was in a holiness in the denomination, not ours. And I went to sit down and things had to be just so. And so I went to sit down as a visitor 
where do visitors sit down? They sit down in the back of the church. I sit down in the back of the church. The lady came up. She scolded me. You can't sit there. Don't you see the sign? That's where the ushers sit. My husband's an usher. This is our seat. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's very interesting. The usher's supposed to be the welcoming and, and, and supporting people in. But because of the plan and because of the structure, now it wasn't something doctrinal. If I wasn't a Christian or even as a Christian, I was a little bit offended that I was told I can't sit down in the back of the church because an usher needs that seat. At least, could have told me kindly, not scold me. But what do we sacrifice because of what we want? Because we want to retain that power. Now, when it comes to doctrine and those kinds of things, as we saw Jesus in the temple, and people were disgracing and not doing what was proper in the house of God, then you get some holy terror, so to speak. It's not tolerated. But maybe there's some other things that me and you and others, we could just be, we could maybe be a little bit more flexible on. But let's remember this as, as we go through life and as we walk into other Christians, because even though we're not a large group of people, Neither in Scripture, there were small bands of people. I think it was the twelve. You might have heard of them. And Jesus used them to go throughout the world. And you think of Paul. But I could stand up here and preach and say, because I'm not preaching to thousands, that maybe I shouldn't preach the truth. But we have to preach the truth where we are at. And as we learn, then we tell others. And so... Maybe you're not dealing with the situations with abortion, and maybe you're not dealing with the situations where people are freezing babies, and maybe you're not dealing with the situations where people are bringing forth and using the children as pawns for their cause or to make them feel special to the peril of the child. But maybe you'd be reminded so you're not in those situations. Or maybe you might get in those situations and you might think about this. So our message today as we look at the massacre of the innocents is this is an historical story that happened because someone resisted. They did not want their kingdom taken over. And so when Christ comes to your heart and asks to set up his kingdom in your life, may you not be resisting May you allow him to have complete control of your life so that you might fulfill the first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. We can't really do the loving the neighbor of our self part correctly unless we love God first. Let's be standing together. Father God, as we would contemplate on this today, this passage of Scripture gives us insights into ourselves, into our society, and maybe into others 
Help us to contemplate the dangers of putting our self-needs in front of others. Help us to contemplate that even David was willing to kill to cover up his sin, but help us to contemplate that our cause is not as important as your cause. And unless we have you in first place in our life, we're so tempted to maybe, yes, God might want us to have a child, or God might want us to have this ministry, or God might want us to have this job, or God might want us to do this, this, or that, that we don't try to manipulate it ourselves. We don't try to intervene with our knowledge. Because sometimes we forget to contemplate the innocent. The innocents out there, they have no... It's of no fault of theirs, and we do things to cause destruction to them. Cause punishment to them. Cause harm to them. Help us to put you first. Guide and direct us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.